Here's a contradiction. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. But I'm not exactly following him. I experience doubt, fear. I don't know where I'm at with God, and I'm stuck. What's that? The problem is being double-minded. That always leads to doubt and fear and ignorance. And the solution is to become single-minded. Now, we're in Psalm 119, and I want to direct your attention to verse 113. And it says there, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. So we're going to meditate together on this this morning. To be double-minded means to think that you can kind of go two directions at the same time. That actually you can only go one direction. Now the classic example that came to my mind is in 1 Kings chapter 18, the showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And in verse 21 of 1 Kings 18, it says, Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Now, don't you think this is weird? That Elijah has to come and say, look, one or the other. And it seems like in these people's minds, they were following the Lord and they were following Baal. Now, the question is, why would they try to do that? What is the purpose? What is the advantage? And the answer is they're trying to deal with their big problem. They don't want to die. Their big thought is, I need a good harvest. A bad harvest is a disaster. It's the difference between life and death. So up in their minds is this, I don't want to die. And they're solving this big danger by seeking the favor of anybody who can help. Who's out there? God? Baal? Baal is the god of fertility. And good harvests are his specialty. See, that's why Baal looks like a source of help. Now, what is God's specialty? Well, everything, right? But somewhere in the back of our mind is jack of all trades, master of none. Sometimes I pray, doesn't look like God hears, like, okay, can he do everything? Will he do everything? So 
I want to live another year. And I'm reducing my risk of danger. This is a practical issue, isn't it? So look at the source of this double-mindedness, God and Baal. Doubt, ignorance, and fear. Think about this. These are Israelites. They're God's people. But there's doubt here. Will God provide for me? Does he even know my name? Can I trust him with my life? Now this doubt also shows ignorance. There might be another God that I don't know anything about and here's this fertility God and he's got authority and power to give good harvest and some say he's a made up God but I don't know. Doubt and ignorance leave me open to fear. What if Baal exists and I'm ignoring him? You know, I know for myself, I don't feel like doing any favors for anybody who offends me. What if I'm offending Baal? If I offend him, I run a risk of being cursed. And so, I'm scared to die. There's an undercurrent of fear motivating me to say, you know, it would probably be good if I got Baal on my side. So here's this trying to hedge my bets, trying to reduce the risk, looking for anybody to help because I don't want to die. Maybe I can just make everybody happy and reduce my risk. And I think this kind of opens the door to self-fulfilling prophecy. If I have a good harvest, I can think, well, what do you know? Something I did worked. I'll just keep doing that. And then maybe everything will line up and, and I'll keep having good harvests. But if it's a bad harvest, then I can say, what did I do wrong? Let me figure out what I did wrong and try to do it right. And then maybe I can get a good harvest next time from you know, whoever is up there that I need to make happy somehow so that I get a good harvest and I don't die. Is any of this making sense? So when do you ever get out of fear and doubt and ignorance? The answer is never. Because you never know if you've done enough. So you have to live in darkness. Now, you know, there is no such thing as Baal. Somebody somewhere had to make him up. But not just a guy. See, there's are spiritual counterfeits that are made up by spiritual forces of wickedness that want to keep people in ignorance and doubt and fear. 
So this is not good. Now, the second part to this scripture, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. The psalmist loves the law of the Lord because the law brings in clarity and truth, how things really are. And it reveals the truth about the one God who is good. Here's the word of God that clearly reveals that God exists apart from his creation. He's eternal. He existed before. He doesn't need the creation. He created out of his goodness. And there is no other God. Over and over again, you get that. There is no other God. And so there aren't 12 other gods to worry about. There aren't millions of other gods to worry about. Just one God. The Bible shows that God created everything in an orderly way. And it shows that he upholds everything that he made. Everything depends upon him for existence and life. And the Bible shows what the real problem is. Not, am I going to have a bad harvest or a good harvest? The real problem is relationship with God. And that relationship is broken. Sin against God brings separation, breakdown in relationship. It brings death. And the Bible clearly shows that God is working out an eternal plan to bring people back into fellowship with him. That is the solution to the problem. God takes one man and he makes a covenant with him. And he says, I'll bless the entire world through you. There's a plan, a solution. There's a point to which everything in this world is heading. There's going to be a fulfillment. Because it's an eternal plan. It has to happen. There's certainty. There's clarity. The Bible shows clearly that God keeps his promises without exception. Now, some of these promises are 2,000 years old. Some of them are 3,000 years old. It doesn't matter. He made a promise. He intends to keep it. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. So, the psalmist says, I love this. I love this. I love knowing the truth. I love knowing your goodness, God. I love knowing your faithfulness. 
I love your confidence. Do you ever read one sentence in the Bible about God saying, gee, I hope I can pull this off? All you get is this tremendous sense of, I am God. Is there anything too difficult for me? And you, you think along those lines and you realize there is incredible clarity in the Bible. So the psalmist looks at all this double-mindedness and he says, I hate this. I don't think he means I hate people. I don't think. But he hates what keeps people in fear and in doubt and in ignorance and have I done enough? And you know, all of that leads to futility and I think he hates that. In verse 104, the psalmist says, through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. God shows this is the right way to go walk in it. That leads to life, all the other roads lead to death. So, the clarity involved here. The psalmist loves that. Now, to be saved from double-mindedness, you need to be made single-minded. And to do that, you need the Word of God and the life of God in you. So listen to this verse again from 1 Kings 18. Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer a word. Can you imagine an awkward moment? Here comes the word of God with clarity. You can't go two ways. Whatever you're thinking here, this muddle, this mess you're in, here's the clarity, one or the other. But both can't work. That's the clarity of the word of God in this situation. But they're stuck. They hear this and it's like, can you imagine? They're stuck. They even know the truth. And yet they're powerless to go for it. There's almost a passivity here. Just like, they can't defend themselves. They can't say, yeah, but nothing. So you know, they can't save themselves. 
They can't break out of their double-mindedness. Knowing the truth is not enough. They need God to reveal himself. And he does reveal himself. You remember how it happens. Elijah first takes 12 stones and builds an altar with them. They're supposed to be rough because you're never supposed to shape the stones and make them smooth and nice and wonderful. They're supposed to be rocks. Nothing to say ooh and ah over nice workmanship. You don't want anything to take away from God. So 12 stones, one for each tribe. Wood on top of that. The sacrifice on top of that. And then Elijah digs a trench around the altar. And he says, pour water on that. And they take four barrels of water, pour it on. He says, do it again. Do it again. Three times four is 12. 12 barrels of water, 12 rocks. Now, what Elijah has prepared is a sacrifice that cannot burn. But God burns it anyway. Sends down fire. It not only consumes the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the water, and the soil. There's nothing left but a crater. And this is a symbol for Israel, a people that cannot catch fire for God, a people with no motivation, impossible to break out of this double-mindedness that they're stuck in. And yet, God can do anything, and he can burn the unburnable. Now, have you ever felt like, should the fire of God fall, I would be the only one left unburnt? The old spiritual motor there. No combustion here, folks. Fireproof. Well, this points out the need. Let me show you something back in Psalm 119. Look at verses 116 and 117. He says, uphold me according to your word that I may live and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Hold me up and I shall be safe and I shall observe your statutes continually. Now, there's two things going on here. The psalmist wants to live according to God's word. You get that, right? But there's also this aspect of depending on God to give him the heart to do it. What he brings to God is not enough, and he knows it. So he says... Do not let me be ashamed of my hope. 
that would indicate a change of attitude to where it's like, you know, I'm not expecting God to keep his promise. I don't think it's going to happen. And see, if you're not expecting God to fulfill his promise, you're not really thinking a whole lot of his word. In fact, you're going to ignore it. You're going to forget about it. You're going to look for what you can eat and drink right now because tomorrow we die and you've got to get all the fun out of life right now. I'm not waiting for pie in the sky anymore. But that attitude is deadly. So he says, hold me up and I shall be safe and I shall observe your statutes continually. Now, what that literally means is I will gaze upon your statutes. And you can either look upon something with disdain, contempt, or with an attitude of giving attention and appreciation. You see, God can give the ability to desire and to want those scriptures. And that's what he's praying for. If you uphold me, I'm going to have a heart for your scriptures. But if you don't give me that heart, I'm going to throw them down the well. I'm going to use them to prop up something and forget about them. And that's not safe. So... He says, I love your word. I love it. Where does that come from? That comes from God. And that's why he says, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. That heart to love the word of God comes only from the Holy Spirit. And he is single-minded about God. This is the interesting thing about the Holy Spirit. He is zealous for the glory of God. And no double-mindedness about him. And when God imparts his spirit to us, then we become single-minded. It can't happen apart from the Holy Spirit. And you know, there's so much spiritual counterfeit going on and what is important. And even down at the conference that I was just at, there were things I was hearing that was like, wait a minute, what? People talking about the sign gifts. And I was thinking, sign gifts. I got to find out what that means, by the way. But I'm thinking, signs that the Holy Spirit is upon you? And I know people who say that the sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues, which it says nowhere in the Bible. But what Jesus did say was, all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now to me, that is the sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because God is love. Not everybody speaks in tongues. But everybody 
can love when they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And everybody walking in on that and looking at that says, okay, there's a God. Look at them love each other. So, the issue to this is, just like Israel, we cannot save our lives. I can't save myself from double-mindedness. But Jesus does. He said, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. And there's that death that we're afraid of. I don't want to lose my life. He says, no, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. And he's telling us it's okay to die. It's okay to give up your life. And to trust that Jesus died for your sins and that he rose again from the dead. And when you receive him, you will receive his Holy Spirit. And he comes in like a fire. And he gives us that single mind of Christ. He gives us what we need to love the word and to say be it done to me according to your word here is your bond servant so how do you know if you're double minded well you live in doubt and fear and ignorance you don't know if God's going to answer your prayers. You're afraid. You're afraid to trust him with your life. And you think, you know what? He might not come through. He might drop me on my head. He's out there juggling galaxies. He doesn't even know my name. I need help right now. I don't want to die. And you know, he's right here. And you know, he will make you single-minded. And all you have to do is come to him and just say, I can't do this. I cannot save my life. I will lose my life to you instead. And then he will make you single-minded. And that is life and peace. Now we're going to have communion this morning. And this is that time that God sets where we can look at our lives 
and say, where am I? How am I doing? And let him examine our hearts. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Everybody gets off course. But God, in his mercy, gives us opportunity to come back. So here we are. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord. That you are the way and the truth and the life. You know that anybody who is a friend of the world is an enemy of you. And we don't want that. And we look to Jesus on the cross right now. Paying for our sins with his life. And we want to trust and depend upon him. We want to be single-minded. We don't want to trust in ourselves or in anything else but you only. So we look to you right now. Please draw us close to you. Please wash today and cleanse. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.